Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Coffeehouse Questions. This is Ryan Pauly. I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening. I'm glad that you have downloaded the show and you want to listen to this to the discussion today. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to continue on with part two of what we discussed last week, which is some of these influential Christian leaders doubting uh, the faith or even walking away uh, themselves, uh, being Joshua Harris, the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, as well as Marty Sampson, uh, one of the worship leaders songwriters of Hillsong. And so last week really went over and talked a lot about the issues uh, that they raised, a lot of the the problems that they brought up, uh, the, the, the Instagram posts that Marty Sampson made about uh, his reasons of no one talking about these issues, when in fact, people are talking about these issues, uh, but also kind of agreeing with him in that uh, we aren't talking about them as much as we should, and we need to be thinking about these things more deeply. And then again, I discussed this idea that people don't only walk away from Christianity because of intellectual reasons, and even as an apologist, I have to be careful that it's not apologetics that is the cure to all problems. Obviously, I do see and believe and have experienced uh, students being more convicted and stronger in their faith because of learning world apologetics. But it isn't the end-all be-all. People don't only walk away from the faith because of intellectual reasons, but they do so because of emotional reasons. They've been hurt by people in the church or volitional reasons. They simply always want to do something different. So that was kind of last week. And today what I want to do is I want to continue this conversation, more specifically answering a question from Instagram that we did not get into, and that is this idea of the deconstruction movement. So that is what we're talking about on the show today. Now, before we do, let me give you kind of a preview of the next few weeks. Yesterday, I interviewed Dr. Fuzrana from Reasons to Believe on his new book, Humans 2.0, which gives a theological, philosophical, and scientific perspective on transhumanism, this idea of blending humanity, human beings, and technology. And then trying to understand what are the ethical frameworks in order to think about this in how we should look at gene editing, how we should look at uh, devices that kind of can uh, connect, I even forget all the big language, but connect the uh, your brain and brain activity with your thoughts, like cochlear implants to help people hear, um, even um, the ability to connect a person's thoughts and their brain uh, to a device that then can control prosthetic legs, uh, legs and arms and control a hand with thoughts uh, with a prosthetic, which is absolutely so cool. Uh, and the advances in technology that we have, but also trying to understand where are the kind of the theological limits as far as blending technology and humanity when you start to actually blur that line of what it means to truly be a human. So we spent an hour discussing that. And so that's going to be coming up as well as most likely uh, this next week, I am going to be posting part three, the unexpected part three of the conversation on Molinism, Calvinism, and Arminianism. And this is the one where really I asked a lot of my personal questions because I didn't really expect to be posting it on the podcast. It was just a side conversation. Uh, We continued the conversation after recording stopped, but because the computer was still running, recording still went. And so after about 30 minutes, it's like, hey, we could post this as a part three. So I think it might sound, I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but it might sound a little bit different as uh, it wasn't planned interview, uh, more it was just me and him having a conversation back and forth, which I tried do, but it always doesn't turn out as genuine as I guess you often hope it does. And so uh, next week should be part three on that. And then we're going to roll into two weeks on the uh, Calvinism, uh, sorry, on the Humans 2.0 with uh, Fuzz Rana, a fun conversation and interview that I did a couple days ago. And if you are someone who uh, enjoys 
listening to podcasts and you kind of expect when they're going to come out, I do want to apologize uh, that I have not been as consistent as I should be as of late. Uh, it is weird getting back into a normal routine after being off all summer, being traveling and all that kind of stuff, getting back into teaching on Saturday, being busy when I normally record, didn't get done. Last week came out late. This week is coming out late. I apologize for that. But if you are like me, you probably didn't notice. Um, I listen to uh, enough podcasts to where I'm about 150 episodes behind right now, about two or so months. And so I'm not aware when things come out. So if you're like me, you probably didn't even notice when this episode came out. But if you are right on the dot and you expect to listen to this every Saturday when it comes out, I do apologize for those late shows. But this does remind me of one thing that I want to just quickly mention uh, that I don't think I've ever done before we jump into our topic, and that is maybe some podcast recommendations. Uh, this kind of popped into my mind as I just talked about uh, what I listen to, or at least that I am behind on my listening uh, to my podcast that I listen to. And so um, some of the things that I just enjoy, if you uh, are not aware of these, I would highly recommend them. Uh, so STR, Standard Reason, has two podcasts. They have the hashtag STR Ask podcast, and then they have the weekly uh, Standard Reason weekly audio. And so uh, the hashtag STR Ask is about 20 minutes, produced twice a week, where Greg or someone uh, answers questions in four minutes or less. The weekly show is uh, two hours a week, broken up into two one-hour podcasts, uh, where generally Greg Coco, the host of the show, uh, will start off with some thoughts for 15 or 20 minutes and then actually take phone calls the rest of the time. And he spends a good 5, 10, sometimes 15 minutes with the people who call in and really discusses and talks through their issue. And so I love those. I also listen to the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Frank Turek, uh, Defenders with William Lane Craig, as well as Reasonable Faith with William Lane Craig. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, one of my favorites is Think Biblically. Uh, it's a newer podcast, a year or so old, I think, uh, with Sean McDowell and Scott Ray from Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. Uh, and then ultimately, the Unbelievable podcast with Justin Brierley. And so those are some of my favorites. I listen to quite a few others, uh, but those are some of my favorites. If you are not following them, I think you should. If you like apologetics, those people are way smarter than I am. So hopefully you keep listening to this one though. <laughs> but I uh, I do uh, want to uh, encourage you to uh, also hear other people and, and what they're producing. And especially the Unbelievable Show uh, with Justin Brierley uh, debating between Christians and atheists most of the time, or at least uh, always having a debate, a conversation with two different sides is very interesting. And it does help you learn what other people think. And I do think that that is very valuable. So uh, there's kind of a, a little recommendation that I have for you on the shows that I listen to in my time. But then again, I said, I'm so far behind. I listen as fast as I can, but I don't get them, don't get to them on time. And so if they are publishing theirs a little bit late, I don't even notice. So maybe that's you, maybe not. But let's jump into our topic today. The main question that I did not get to from Instagram on the topic of the Christian leaders walking away from their faith uh, was from Bridget on Instagram. And she wrote in, I keep hearing about the deconstruction movement. What are your thoughts on it? Now, I want to say from the outset that I'm not super familiar with the deconstruction movement. I, I did do some research. I did talk to a few people, and it sounds like really there's a lot of misunderstanding. It sounds like there are some different ideas floating around there. And so I think that there can be some positives, if I'm understanding it correctly. And also there are some negatives of this movement. And so I want to kind of work through this 
with you and some ways to think about this idea. So uh, deconstructionism or the deconstruction movement can have a wide range of meanings because deconstruction can mean things within the worldview that you're talking about and within the right context. And so when I first heard of this movement, I immediately thought of deconstructionism, which is an aspect of the postmodern worldview. And so I'm taking this out of uh, actually my textbook, Understanding the Times by uh, Dr. David Noble and Dr. Jeff Myers. Where in the section on postmodernism, it talks about and it says this, postmodernists say that meta narratives become so compelling that people stop questioning them. And it's precisely then that they become destructive and oppressive. Postmodernists are generally suspicious of all modern meta narratives because they are so often used as tools of oppression. Many postmodernists engage in a process of examining exactly what causes people to fall under the spell of various meta narratives. This is called deconstruction. The way deconstruction works on meta narratives is similar to someone revealing how a magic trick is done. It is revealing. People stop being deceived. Postmodernists believe deconstructing dominant meta narratives causes them to lose their stronghold on people's minds. And so this may be where some people are coming from with this deconstruction movement, is that it's coming from this postmodern idea that meta narratives, any uh attempt you make at trying to to force someone into your view of reality or what I would say is the view of reality and not allowing them to just do and believe and think whatever they want, but saying that there's an actual right way to do that, they would say that that is a form of oppression. And so we often grow up in cultures, we grow up in families, we grow up within a, a, a system that is forcing us into an oppressive structure. And so deconstructionism is to examine that structure, as it says, in a way that you would examine a magic trick. You reveal the way that they are trying to trick you and so that you don't get tricked anymore. And so I think that this could be a way in which some people view this is that Christianity is the system, that Christianity provides this meta narrative of here is how we are called to live, here is who you are as a human being, here is what the purpose of your life is. And so in a postmodern view, this is oppressive. This is saying, who's you, here, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's your life. Right now, you obviously do have free will, but you are called to love God. You're called to take care of creation, be a steward of his, his creation. You're called to make a disciple of all nations. You're called to be an ambassador of Christ. And this is what it means to be human. And this is what the purpose of life is. And for those who want to push against this narrative and want this, per, this complete personal autonomy where no one has authority over them and they get to do whatever they want. They don't like this. And this is seen as a form of oppression. And so a deconstructionism or to deconstruct this idea is to take away that, those blinders, it, reveal the process of uh, how these meta narratives are being used as tools of oppression so that we can perfectly free the people. And I think this is something I often hear of when it comes to Christianity is that Christianity is that oppressive structure and that we need to remove ourselves from the bondage of Christianity, the bondage of this oppressive structure saying exactly how you need to act, especially when it comes to the area of sexuality, and that by removing that, by deconstructing the Christian worldview, we now get that true freedom that we want. And so I think that this is a bad way to look at this. Now, also on Instagram, I just uh, finished recording kind of part three on a series uh, responding to a question that came in on Instagram of are there transgender people in the Bible? And I've already talked about that on the show and I've worked through a lot. 
But since posting part two, where I discussed the idea of what is gender and posting that on YouTube, I got a lot of pushback. And I got people that commented on my video, that wrote me on Twitter, uh, that commented on my website as well, uh, trying to argue with me and show different aspects of gender. And I want to kind of take a little bit of a side point, but I think it fits within this broader meta narrative. And it's this. What they were arguing for is that gender is what's between your ears, not what's between your legs, right? So it's what you think about yourself, not what you are, not what your biology says. But they also argued that gender is also an aspect of going with or against the socially accepted customs of how a gender, uh, how a, a role should be played in culture, right? So if this is generally a male's role in culture and a man is going against that, then that would be gender non-conforming. He's not conforming to the gender roles. And so this is an aspect of being transgender. And this is comes from these ideas that we see throughout cultures in which cultures kind of view people in different lenses. Uh, and this is supposed to be, create this infinite number of genders. And one article that was sent to me showed or talked about that there are masculine men and feminine men, masculine women and feminine women, and that this is therefore four genders, right? And what I would say is, no, that's two genders, but it is being expressed in different ways. You're just adding that modifier, masculine versus feminine, to a man. It's still a man. But what this person was arguing for is, no, these are four genders. In fact, any way that you act differently could be considered a new gender, which then this becomes an almost an infinite amount of genders that you could have. And what I am careful of and what I want to be clear about is that this then makes the word gender almost meaningless. If gender has an infinite number of applications, then Everyone is gendered in a different way. And then what does gender actually even mean to begin with? And then what I think this does is it takes away with what is actually the issue of what is true transgender or gender dysphoria, right? Where you have a biological male who feels like a female. And these people will admit even themselves, there is a problem. I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body. And what I think is the issue is when you take someone who actually is is identifying themselves as having this problem where their their gender identity doesn't match their biology, and you lump them into the same category as people who possibly simply just don't want to be held into the confines of the strict binary system. They want to be whoever they want to be. They want to live their lives themselves. They want to push against this structure, trying to force this oppressive system upon them that you are either male or female and doesn't allow them to be whoever they want. And they go, I want to be anything. And therefore, there's this infinite number of genders. And therefore, gender becomes meaningless in this system. And when we take both of those people and put it in the same category, then I think that clouds us from having the ability to actually address the issue that is happening with the problem that actually with the, with the person that is actually admitting that they have the problem, that I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body. There is this issue that is going inside of me. There's not this connection. But what I see is that these are two different people. You have one that admits that there's a problem. My gender is not matching my biology. I have this issue. It's not aligning. And I think what you would have is another person who says, look, I don't want to be in your standard. I want to be a part of my own standard. I want to create my own reality. And if you're going to force me into this binary system saying I have to be male or I have to be female and not allow me to be, to, allow me to be whatever I want to be, then I'm going to push against that. 
And I think that comes from this idea of deconstructionism and this idea within a postmodern worldview that anytime you are trying to say, this is a meta narrative, this is the true story of reality, this applies to all people, they say that's a destructive and oppressive. We need to expose it for the trick that it is. And I would say, look, that's not a trick. That's the way the world actually works. And so if this is the angle that someone is coming from when talking about deconstruction within Christianity, that's a big problem because this is applying a postmodern worldview to Christianity. Now, I think that there can be a positive aspect of deconstructionism if someone means something a little bit different. And to this, I think about the interview that I did with John Marriott on his book, A Recipe for Disaster. And he talked about one of the reasons why people walk away from the faith is what he called over-preparation. I've talked about this a few times on the show. But this idea that we hold all of the debatable issues in Christianity as actually undebatable or non-debatable core salvific issues. Right. And so that we create this house of cards where we tell our students, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be a young earth, six day creationist who holds to inerrancy and inspiration. And you have to hold to a pre-trib rapture in a dispensational theology or whatever. And you have all these things that need to add on. Oh, and you have to go to church on Sunday and you can't play cards on Sunday. And you also have to go to church on Wednesday and you can't dance and you can't drink. And we put, put all of these standards and all of these expectations on someone and say, this is true Christianity. And this creates this house of cards, whereas what I have seen with students, and you know my position from this show, I, I deal a lot with, with scholars of reasons to believe, and I had Fuzz, Fuzz on the show yesterday interviewing him, and that will be posted soon. But that's an old earth website, or that's an old earth organization. And what I often will tell students is I say, look, I think that you can be a Christian and believe the earth is old or the earth is young. Now, that doesn't actually connect to evolution. That's a separate issue. But you can be a Christian and think the earth is old. And what I see is Christian students have this amazing sigh of relief come over them because they're told in their science classes they have to believe this, have to believe this, have to believe this. Some of it is very good evidence, in my opinion. And But they have this understanding that if they accept that, then they can no longer be a Christian because we have placed a lot of the secondary issues of Christianity that we should be able to debate over as core issues. We've gone away from this idea of mere Christianity, the core essential doctrine of things like Jesus dying and rising from the dead, of things like God being Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equally God, three distinct persons, the Bible being the inspired, inerrant word of God. We've gone from that being the core essential mere Christianity. If you agree with that, you're a Christian. And we've started to add in ideas of eschatology. We're adding in ideas of uh, creation, the things that are not actually salvific. And so if by deconstruction, we mean examining the faith that we have been taught as a child and trying to remove kind of maybe the extras or really try to get down to the bare bone structure of what is the core of Christianity, then I would say that that's a good thing. I would say that's good. We should be examining the faith that our parents and teachers and pastors have taught us to see what truly is the biblical way of thinking about it. And this is one of the coolest things. As I grew up, I went to schools and churches, uh, or I should say schools, that were very different than the church that I went to, and that was different than the church I grew up in. 
And so I remember many times talking to my mom, talking to my parents and saying, hey, this is what they just taught me in school. This is what we kind of learned in church. Now, what do you believe? And kind of comparing the, the ideas of church versus what the ideas my parents have versus the ideas that my school was teaching and trying to get almost sometimes three different perspectives and then making and coming to my own decisions and coming to my own conclusion. And I loved having the freedom to be able to do this. And it was beautiful as I began to rethink my faith. Here's the important point, though, is that I was doing all of this with parents, with pastors, with friends. This was not done alone. And I think what can happen is if we start to kind of deconstruct this house of cards that we have had built for us, maybe as we've grown up in our lives, and we're not doing it with mentors, we're not doing it with other people in our lives, then we can tend to pull out a few pieces. And when that house starts to kind of fall apart, we just allow it to all crumple to the ground. And we don't have that person there in our life to remind us, hey, think about this for a second. This is actually really important. These are issues that are actually core to Christianity. This is something that is a non-negotiable. You have to accept the death and resurrection of Jesus uh, to be a Christian. You can't throw that one out. But there are also really good reasons to believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. There's a good reason to keep this as part of that core structure that then we build from. You need to believe that God does exist. And there's good reasons to believe that God does exist. And so hopefully that we can walk through the person as they kind of go through that period of deconstruction, as they're kind of picking apart the views and the the ideas and, and the form of Christianity that has been taught to them over the years. And we can help get back to that firm, solid foundation of mere Christianity And then from that, allow them to start to form what they believe is the true picture of Christianity when it comes to the other issues that you can debate over. For example, Calvinism and Arminianism, right? You can be a Christian and hold to either one. Obviously, I have my opinion and you probably have yours. But I hope that none of you would say, well, because I'm a Calvinist and someone else is Arminian, they're going to hell. No, we understand that, yes, we can understand and we can believe in the core essential Christian doctrines be saved, and disagree on those issues. And so I do want to point that out of if that's what the deconstruction movement is, depending on the person who's going through it, I think it can look in both look like both ways. That the idea is simply to say, okay, what is the true central teachings of Christianity? And then I'm going to build rebuild up from there, right? Deconstruct the system that you've been taught, get back to that core foundation, and then reconstruct the ideas that you have. That's awesome. The problem is I think that some people just simply deconstruct because they're not walking through that deconstruction process with someone else. And it's almost like the whole house comes tumbling down on top of you and it never gets built back up. We run out of steam. We run out of energy because we don't have that person walking with us. And so hopefully we can walk through this process with people, right? It shouldn't look like the first one. It shouldn't be this idea that Christianity is this oppressive meta narrative that is forcing people into a system against their will that is bad for them. And we need to reveal it for the oppressive structure it is. That is definitely bad. But if someone's trying to walk through and go, you know, I'm just trying to figure out what I really believe. What is the important things of Christianity? Awesome. Let's walk through it together and let's help them so that they do not walk away for reasons that are not actually good reasons. Hopefully it's not an actual intellectual reason they walk away because there are good answers for those issues. 
So hopefully this helps, Bridget, if you are listening, you sent in the question on Instagram, to think through what is the deconstruction movement, what are good ways that we should deconstruct what we've been told, and maybe what are some bad ways. But what this leads me into and how I want to finish the show is to discuss again the importance of worldview. If you haven't understood from listening to this show uh, too long that worldview is so important, and as I mentioned before, of getting into this idea of gender and these videos that I've been putting out on YouTube. And as I talked about, that I, I think there's really two different issues going on with people that are genuinely struggling with gender dysphoria and also uh, those who simply just don't want to be fit into a box. But what ultimately it came down to is I was having this conversation on Twitter where this guy was trying to explain to me how gender worked. And he's saying, look, this is socially constructed societies make it up. And I said, okay, can you give me a good reason to believe that there are actually more than two genders that exist rather than two genders that are expressed in different ways? And he said, well, look at the cultures. I said, just because a culture does it doesn't mean that that is true. Just because a culture doesn't believe in gravity doesn't mean that gravity doesn't exist. That culture would be incorrect. Can you give me an example? And he goes, well, it's not just one culture. It's many cultures. And I finally responded. I said, look, here's what I think the issue is. In a worldview like postmodernism or even within a secular worldview, one that does not have God and this atheistic idea, then human beings are the ultimate authority and we get to make the rules and cultures get to decide the way that things work. And so within that worldview, he's right. There is no objective standard of what gender is. All we understand is that biologically, yes, there is male and female, but this idea of gender, man, that could be many different things. And however a culture wants to, to define it, they can because there is, this no, there is no objective standard. And so what he's doing is saying, look, look at the way that cultures define it. Cultures get to set the moral laws. Cultures get to set the way that we uh, should act and live. And so therefore, this is the way that it is. Now, obviously, my pushback to that is, well, what about the culture that is doing something that is actually wrong if cultures get to set the rules? What about Nazi Germany? What about 1800 America in the time of slavery? Just because the culture decided that, does that mean that therefore these things are right, that they are good? Again, I've talked about on the show before that if a culture gets to decide morality, if whatever is legal is good, then that makes every single social reformer all throughout human history evil because they were fighting against that which is good if the culture gets to define what is good. On the other side, though, you have the worldview of Christianity, the Christian worldview that says God is the author and creator of all things. God, in Genesis chapter 1, created male and female. That is male and female sex. That's male and female gender. We do see gender-specific roles throughout Scripture of the way that men should be and the way that women should be because God has created us to be in a certain way. He's designed us to function in a certain way as male and female. And therefore, whatever a culture decides does does not get to change things, just like if you decide something about gravity, it doesn't change gravity. The same is true with marriage. We've talked about that. If, if you, you can't redefine marriage, just like you can't redefine gravity. Marriage is a built-in aspect of reality into our reality, a built-in aspect of reality by God, and is not something that we have simply just created. So asking that question, is gender more like gravity or is it like monopoly? Is it something that's built in that we've discovered or is it something that we've created and we get to make the rules? But ultimately what this comes down to is it's a worldview issue of what worldview is actually true. Is the Christian worldview true? If so, then God created us. He made us a certain way and we're called to live in that way. If the Christian worldview is not true, 
then God didn't create us. There is no higher authority than human beings, or at least if a secular worldview is true, obviously, and then we get to create the rules ourselves. Maybe it's neither. Maybe it's as, as maybe it's an Islamic worldview or kind of this New Age worldview, uh, but this is why understanding worldviews are so important. And here's this guy. He's arguing with me, saying my definition of gender is wrong. No, it's wrong according to his worldview, but he's assuming the truth of his worldview. When you take that off the table and you go, hold on a second, why do you assume this is true? Let's discuss which worldview makes more sense. We can get back, I think, to the questions that ultimately matter because the ideas we have on gender and sexuality and marriage flow from the worldview we have. We need to step back and actually think through and process and examine the worldview we hold rather than only looking at these surface level things and how that worldview gets played out. So hopefully this is a short little thing on the importance of understanding and examining your worldview. And I want to thank you all so much for listening to the show this week. And again, encourage you to check out those episodes coming up in the future on Molinism, Calvinism, Arminianism, as well as transhumanism. There's going to be some good, fun conversations that I've had so far. Also, if you've enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend or family member. Help them enjoy it as well. Again, word of mouth is probably the best way that I hear that people hear about the show. And so thank you guys for sharing it with people. Keep doing that. Also, take just a couple seconds. Go over, like this on your podcasting app. Give it those stars and help more people see that this is something worth listening to. Don't forget that on September 27 and 28 is the Orange County Rethink Apologetic Student Conference. I'll be speaking on Science of Faith as well as many other speakers. Don't miss it. Get your tickets early before they sell out. And so thank you so much for listening to the show this week. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Polly. To follow your love will guide my way.